initially when you start, really at the startup stage, is to stay with investors that you know personally or that you've been introduced to through people you know personally, rather than trying to get a brand name VC or even early stage fund. Well, hello, Food Startups Podcast listeners. This is your host, Hema Reddy. On this episode, we bring to you Matt Cohen. He's a founder and CEO of KitFresh. Their products are available in over 10,000 conventional and natural stores nationwide. Matt talks about his journey, how he started with a physical location before launching into retail. His key message to all CPG entrepreneurs, perseverance, an intelligent shelf strategy, and of course, at the basis of all of it, a strong vision. Take a listen. Oh, but wait, let's take a few seconds to thank our sponsor. And this one, my friends, might just help you with your e-commerce plans. If you're looking to launch and grow your food brand on Amazon, head over to Boulder, Colorado on July 12th for the Ecom Bootcamp's food brand event. Hosted by Marketplace Seller Courses and Ecom Engine and sponsored by Payability, it's an event you don't want to miss. Register today for one of the 75 half-off super early bird tickets available. There's some more information in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. All right, Matt Cohen, how are you doing today in New York City, I believe? I am doing outstanding, Emma. How are you? Well, it's a great morning in Austin, Texas. And you know what? I am so excited and pumped for this episode because I'm a mom. I have two toddlers. And speaking to you today is surreal because my kids love KidFresh. Oh, that's so nice. You know, these, these are the type of feedback that we get from consumers. People send us emails or, or sometimes even little notes to share their experience with KidFresh. And I can tell you that each time we receive something like this, it makes our day. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, CPG is a very challenging business to be in. So there's highs and lows. And these are the things that just give you that high, right? To keep you pushing to the next frontier. Oh, absolutely. When I get an email like this, it's like we are doing something good and it feels great. Yes, I totally believe that. So um, you are a father and yes. that seems to be the genesis of how Kid Fresh got born. How old were your kids when you framed the initial idea, the concept itself? My son was five and my daughter was two. So very, very, very little. And what happened? Like, what was the turning point where you say, okay, enough of what I'm seeing in the stores. I'm going to do my own thing and have better options for families. Well, you have two little ones. So I think you're going to understand my story here. Totally. It was one morning. I was alone with the kids. And, you know, sometimes you have these mornings that just go totally wrong. You don't know why, but... Something is totally out of control, and the kids are totally out of control. And that was one of these mornings where, you know, they were just making fun of me and being facetious. And it was fun, obviously, but mm -hmm. the clock was ticking. And at 7.32, we were still not ready to go to school. As we were getting ready, eventually, my son asked me, hey, dad, what about the lunchbox? I was like, what? Yeah, the lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Come on, guys. We need to get dressed. Let's go. Let's go. I realized that I had not prepared the lunchbox, but, but more importantly, 
it seemed totally bizarre to still have to prepare a little sandwich in a brown bag at mm -hmm. uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. That's uh, right. To send your kids off to school at a time when you have everything ready for you as an adult, right? I mean, you go to mm -hmm. Whole Foods or any other prepared food aisle and you have everything ready for you. You can order online. You can get things delivered. For you as an adult, you're taken care of. But kids, not. And so we started looking, my partner and I, into this category after this, this incident because we're like, there's something totally inadequate in kids' foods in the U.S. And as you may have gotten from my accent, I was not born and raised in the I was going to ask, yes. <laughs> uh, <I laughs> that was, was going to be my next question. That this is not a, <laughs> a typical you know, American accent, so yeah. Right. I was born east of Brooklyn, actually so east that it's actually in Paris, France. Wow. And uh, I'm French and American, and I grew up in France. Uh, and so for us in France, we never had lunchboxes, right? You go to the school cafeteria, even if you're a toddler. And so this really seemed really bizarre. It was like more of a, like a cultural difference, if you will. But uh, mm -hmm. I saw it as maybe the expression of something bigger around how food for children is treated in the U.S. The very fact that you have kids' meal, kids' menus in restaurants is very American. Mm -hmm. That's true. You go to a restaurant in France or in Europe, you don't have kids' menu. The menu is the same for everyone. So that very fact sort of tells you a little bit about how kids' meals, kids' foods are considered in the U.S. And so maybe my perspective coming from, from France helped me sort of see this as an opportunity, right? So it's a long and convoluted answer to your question as to how Kid Fresh started, but really it started from the experience of trying to feed your kids as a parent and finding that you had no readily available solution out there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can understand. It is so funny that I did not think about it that way, even after all these years, that when you do travel outside, there are no kids' menus. Like you basically eat what adults are eating, no matter how old you are, you know, nine months, one year, you start eating everything. Exactly. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why kids are so picky, because they get all these choices of having special food for them. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. This is a very American thing. Well, hopefully, hopefully we can change that, but that's a longer conversation, I guess. Yeah. So KidFresh has grown, I mean, phenomenally, and you attribute a lot of success to listening to your consumers. Now, that is so intuitive, right? I mean, a lot, every conversation, marketing discussion, everything involves it on, be it involved feedback and everything, but not every brand gets it right. I mean, I'm not talking about store demos or exhibitions at Expo East or best one of these food shows. But other than the usual, did you employ any other, you know, strategic measures or creative ways to gather that early feedback? Because if you look at it, at the time there was there was little options in the in the package meal sections that are frozen that are for kids. I mean it was mostly like lean cuisine or healthy choice or those kinds of meals primarily towards adults, but if you went into the freezer section other than chicken nuggets or a few here and there, there was no such brand presence such as what Kid Fresh is today. So how did you go about in those early days incorporating consumer feedback in this category and how did that shape your journey? Well, we started Kid Fresh as a store. Kid Fresh was not 
a frozen food brand initially. We oh, that's right. We, we started KidFresh as a store in Manhattan. It was like a specialty food store for kids, like a mini Whole Foods for kids, like a Starbucks for kids. I see. And we had a chef, we had a kitchen, and we were making freshly prepared meals to go or to eat in the store every day. And we were experimenting and trying a lot of new ideas, trying to push the envelope as far as we could. So what that did uh, is gave us a very unique insight into what is important for moms, what is important for kids, and where is the overlap. And the overlap is not uh, that easy to find, actually. If it was, then parents would have no issues trying to feed their kids with healthy food, right? So it is very difficult to find. And so in a way, the store allowed us to experiment and to hear directly both from parents and from kids as to what was important to them. So KidFresh was really born out of consumer feedback, out of what moms and kids are saying. Hmm. And is the store still existing? We closed it in 2009. We had to make a choice between going full scale nationwide or continuing to operate the store, but we couldn't do both. You know, sometimes... Hmm. Businesses start with one idea and then they evolve into something different. It was a gut-wrenching decision for sure, but uh, looking back, it was the right one. It's interesting. This is the opposite of what's been happening lately. If you notice, there's a few brands out there that have gotten, say, national distribution or a really good regional distribution, and they're opening one or two brick-and-mortar storefronts to get more consumer feedback or just be interact with the consumers in a better, in a more user-friendly manner. I mean, one example is not a move. They just recently opened the first location in Austin. And I've mm-hmm. seen a couple other brands do that as well. But it was the opposite for you, which is, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's challenging to, to have both a retail operation and, uh, you know, full whole scale operation, at least at our scale. Right, right. So great. Then, I mean, you had that early feedback. I mean, that is probably the very good way to start because you already are starting with consumer-tested product line and get feedback in a much more intimate manner than going e-commerce or farmer's market. But farmer's market can be tricky, right? Because people walking over there are not a true representation of what your uh, typical consumer can be. A lot of the people that are there is like impulse purchase, they want to support local businesses. It's not the same as a storefront even or e-commerce, which is a different decision-making process. Having a storefront and gathering that feedback, I'm sure was, was very good. Now, after that, you decide to go to retail. You're now available in 10,000 conventional and natural stores nationwide. What do you think are the key factors that played into getting that, that distribution scale? I would say one word, perseverance, perseverance, <laughs> perseverance, perseverance. Really, you need to be prepared to uh, hear no so many times before you hear yes, being with, obviously, with the retail world, with the manufacturing world, with investors, with everyone. When you have an idea and you believe in it, uh, you just have to persevere. That, I think, is one of the key attributes of any entrepreneur's success. Really, I I really believe that very deeply. 
So did you have a goal in mind to become the number one kids food brand when you set out? Or did that just happen along the way, cumulative success and all that? No, I mean, we, we really wanted to become the number one better for you kids food brand. Mm. That, that's the goal. And we are. We have become the number one in the better for you category. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, your range of products. And as a mom, I have tried the products before, uh, you know, two, three years ago. And I was, I was actually at Expo East in 2016. And I stopped by your booth and I saw the products. I was like, oh, you know, this is cool. And funny enough that you know, over the years, every single year, your booth has become bigger, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I uh, hope to see you again uh, in September at Expo East in Baltimore. Yep, yep, I'll be there mm-hmm. All right. as well as Expo West. Yes, which, which, which means that the brand's doing well and obviously the consumers love the products. I mean, we love it. So, And we are a very picky family and I cook a lot. So I have a sense of what good food or food should, should taste like, at least somewhat. Yeah, so we love the products. Before we move away from the topic of distribution, yeah, anything that you'd like to share? I mean, this is frozen food is all about dis- uh, scale, right? Initially, yeah. it's challenging. The first few, one or two years is challenging because everything is more expensive and frozen, logistics, freight, trying on transportation, even production, because you're just dealing with a much more sensitive, not shelf stable. Doing demos is also expensive. There are some companies that won't even take on products that need cooking or warming up because they're about, they would just work with alcohol or drinks or ready to drink beverage, RTD uh, stuff or salty snacks. But it's even hard to find demo companies. Until you achieve scale, mm-hmm. margins are just such a challenge. So what have some of the key takeaways during the early days that you can say, you can share as suggestions for young brands that get into the frozen category? where the margins are slim. There are a lot of different angles to address. One is finding retailers to start that really believe in you and that will give you the space. Uh, what I mean by space is not only the shelf space, but also the, the time and the ability to establish your brand. So finding the right retailers to start is absolutely critical because then that's how you build your metrics, your story, and then you can talk to other retailers having already proven success story, if you will. So that's number one. Number two, on the production side, it's also important to find co-packers that will work with you on smaller minimum quantities initially, and also potentially work with you on margin, give you margin breaks when you reach certain levels of annual quantities or batch quantities in order to also provide some relief on that side. And then the third thing that I would say is just being very clear about the pricing on shelf. Because at the end of Mm -hmm. the day, if your product ends up too too expensive on shelf, it won't move, particularly in frozen, which is a very price-sensitive category. So you need Mm -hmm. to look at where you're going to be on shelf, what's around you, and what price points you can hope for, and then work down from that. So yes, initially your margin is going to be squeezed, but it's more important initially to have the right price point on shelf than to have the right margin. The rest comes with scale, obviously, 
and you know relationships with with co-packers. Any tips or suggestions on the relationship with co-packers? Anything that played out well, building the key to building good relationship with co-packers? I think it's really they are business people and they're also human. They're they're people. So you right. know you go there and you present your case, you present your story, you present your vision. And we say, look, you know, we're going to start small, but our plans show that we start with 20 pallets uh, this this year. It will be 200 pallets next year and uh, 5,000 pallets the following year, something like that. They need to believe in you and they need to believe in your story and your vision. And once you achieve that, then you get into a business relationship with them. You have issues, there are some challenges along the way, but if you have established a good, personal, honest, straightforward relationship with them, obviously you, you can go through these issues and, and grow together. Right. No, that is so key. And oftentimes we forget, we get so wrapped up in in our heads about the numbers, the business, and especially when you're starting out, there is so much going on. You're probably a one-person army or maybe have a partner. It's still a lot to manage and you're constantly looking at ways to succeed. And in that early days, it's it's easy to lose perspective of the fact that, yes, it is indeed a person that we're talking to, not just, you know, this, this building and the machines. Exactly. And it's not just about numbers. Exactly. And very often, smaller manufacturers are entrepreneurs. A lot of these companies are family owned, and they sympathize with a fellow young entrepreneur that is starting from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously things need to work from a number standpoint for, for them as well. But mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning, if you have established a good relationship, then you can at least uh, you know, get off the ground. Absolutely. So talking about your packaging, one thing that I've admired is you have stayed consistent. The way you came out with that lime green, fluorescent green color to the look and feel, and you've continued that. So that's, you know, oftentimes you see brands changing and next year they look different. The pattern change, the color scheme change, something always changes, but you have never had the need to do anything drastic like that. How did that happen? <laughs> you know, you're consistent throughout the years. Well, we made some very initial strategic choices when we started the frozen food line. Um, and obviously this green was one of them. You know, we explored lots of different colors. I can tell you that sometimes I look at our initial packaging explorations. You have some red, you have some blue, mm-hmm. you have some purple, you have some orange, you have some yellow. But we really like the lime green because, it, first of all, it stood out on shelf. Right. But also it conveyed freshness, you know, simplicity, authenticity, quality, yet not necessarily premium. It's not a color that conveys a sense of premium. It conveys a sense of everyday light. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we initially picked it. And then quite frankly, that became a pillar of our brand. It is core to our brand. Like, you know, red is core to Coca-Cola. Green that's is right. core to Kitfresh. So you own that color and that's, that is your Coke. Yes. <laughs> that is the red. It is yeah. our code. So that's that's pretty cool that early on you put all this thought into what is the color that stands out because standing out behind a frozen frosty door is challenging. 
So that was pretty smart to go after a color that nobody else had. I mean, you look at frozen foods, nobody else has a fluorescent green or lime green. So uh, that was pretty innovative. And the fact that you own that color today is, is, is something, a lesson that I think we should all walk away from is find a color that not just has a differentiation, but also has a purpose. Like you said, you know, it's, it's light. That's a pretty nice formula that we should all jot down and try and follow. Yeah. Well, I think we, we got lucky and inspired, I guess. <laughs> so also the other thing that I see as a sort of a different path or a strategy that you took on early on is you at the, the price point that you were very determined. You knew exactly the price point that you wanted to be on, which is lower than any other. Say, for example, Oats Best or Applegate or similar, if you can look at the chicken nuggets category or the other even mac and cheese that, I don't even know if there was another mac and cheese that was frozen at the time, like a few years ago when you launched the market. But regardless, the price point was very, very approachable. Yes. And I believe, wasn't Walmart your first large-scale national chain? What was the first retail chain that you started off with? Target and Kroger were the, the two first oh, okay. uh, large national mm-hmm. retailers. And they gave us a shot in 2012, both of them, actually, at the same time. Um, gotcha. And then, and then we've grown from there. But, yeah, I mean, the price is very important for us because it also uh, relates to our vision. And our vision is that every child deserves better food. Everyone. That's amazing. And so Fresh is not a brand for the happy few and privileged in, in any ways. It's for everyone. It's for the Walmart shopper, the Target shopper, and the Whole Food shopper. And we want, our goal is to have as many kids as possible in the United States to eat healthy foods every day. So with that in mind, you need to have a price point that make it as affordable as possible. Mm-hmm. Then it drives uh, the product itself and how we develop it and so on and so forth. The retailers that we talk to, the merchandising that we're seeking, all of that is driven by by this vision to really make better for you foods uh, accessible to every child. And what were some of the first early lessons learned or even as you grew and scaled to be successful on shelf? Well... First and foremost, it, it's important that you you have a, a visibility on shelf. Sometimes retailers initially, they're going to give you a shot and they'll say, okay, I'll take two SKUs, right? But what happens mm-hmm. is when they take two items, for instance, you don't have enough visibility. You're not generally in enough stores initially. And so there's not much that you can do. And so it's a sort of a catch-22 because you want to prove that you can succeed so that they're going to expand your assortment and distribution, but you can't because you do not have enough to build a success story, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very important to start at minimum with a shelf and with a number of stores that are representative enough to allow you to do some marketing, some promotion, some demos in some cases in order to build your case. By shelf, you mean more SKUs so you can show up more prominently on the shelf. Exactly right. Exactly right. Particularly when you start, like you're a new brand like us, a new category, right? Better for you, frozen kids' food is a, or was a new category. So you need a minimum of visibility on shelf. Otherwise, regardless of the quality of the product and even the price, it's Mm -hmm. just that people won't see you. 
So it's important. But what we've seen and, and then later be able to demonstrate is that when you go from one shelf of products to two shelves of products, not only you double your business in general, but you actually triple your business because the, the visibility is critical. More people see you, more people will give you a try, but also choice is important because people can then combine you know, the chicken nugget with the mac and cheese or the fish sticks with the tater tots. And once you have more combinations that are available to the consumer, then the consumer will buy more product altogether. That is, yeah, that's true. Makes sense. It's very important to select the SKUs in the right way and to have a minimum of four to five. Sometimes we can fit five. And we have sort of uh, defined over the years what is our ideal one shelf, our ideal two shelf set, our ideal three shelf set, and so on and so forth. And that's proving to be very helpful. That's so valuable to think ahead of time as to what your innovation pipeline is looking like, because that has such a incredible effect on your net bottom line. Isn't it an act of balancing? Because the more products you introduce, more SKUs, it's a supply chain you know, management as well, inventory management. But what you're saying is all that is totally worth it because your revenue doesn't just double, it triples. Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously uh, you cannot go crazy, but it's important to provide right. choice, particularly in this category. Choice is a very important attribute of the kids' food category. Very important. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. If we go, that's true. I mean, I didn't try to analyze it, but we do pick up. We don't just pick up a mac and cheese. We'll do a wagon wheels and then we'll do some nuggets. But it's always a combination of two or three different things because kids are human beings as well. They want variety. I mean, even if I make the best pesto pasta they would eat two days in a row. Third day, they're like, I'm not going to eat that anymore. I want something else. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We are, we are looking at this category as a, a destination. Our job, our vision is to build a destination in Frozen. And to build that destination, you need to offer sort of a full solution to parents, right? From morning mm-hmm. to evening, from mains uh, to sides from also also snacks and on the go, this is what we are working towards. It doesn't happen day one, but over time, our vision is a full door, a full destination that is a solution for all your needs. And I'm going to ask a couple of the questions because, I mean, you've got, you have had such a good trajectory. You did a Series B last year, obviously going on a path to continue to grow and scale. So I really want to, I'm trying to hit all the questions that would be so helpful and somebody that wants to come behind you and replicate your similar journey. So to that effect, to that end, who was your one or two first critical hires? How did you pick them? That's very key. The head of sales was our number one critical hire uh, because the head of sales is not only the person that will you know, start you know, knocking at retailers' doors and present your product but it's also someone that will set up a whole network with brokers, with other third parties that participate into the sales and distribution process. So when you start, you need someone that has a lot of experience and that is very strong in this particular function. And then the second one Mm -hmm. was marketing, Mm -hmm. head of marketing that relates with the product, relates with 
what we are building. So we've, we've always valued having a mom in that particular role mm-hmm. simply because it's important to be the target, right? To be the consumer that you are targeting. So these were the two most important uh, hires initially. I noticed that you didn't say operations. Was that something that you and your partner were doing? Yes, we were doing that ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously you need a bookkeeper and then uh, you need to keep track of the numbers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Frozen is at a very interesting time right now. In the past few years, it's growing. The category itself is seeing tremendous growth. I mean, take a looking at Conagra brands. I mean, these guys obviously own Healthy Choice and a few other brands underneath, Marie Callender's and so on. And they reported 21% increase in sales. Tyson did $3.5 billion in revenue last year. Conagra was not that far behind, $2.9 billion. It's not, it, and increasingly millennial shoppers are also getting into the frozen aisles because they trust the quality of the frozen more than anything. They do see the value in going for more easily available, convenient options. So having the amount of success you have seen so far in Frozen, what's the vision for Kid Fresh? Are you going to continue to grow more and more in this category? Or do you see yourself penetrating other categories as well, like snacks and others? I would say both. I mean, first of all, we, we still mm-hmm. have a, a lot to do in Frozen, both in terms of mm-hmm. distribution, innovation. We have uh, an amazing innovation pipeline of things to come in different categories of Frozen. Because again, our goal ultimately is to offer a solution, like an end-to-end solution. Mm-hmm. So a lot of runway for us in Frozen, but at the same time, a lot of white space also in other categories, snacks, refrigerated, lunch boxes. There is a whole array of categories that we can play in. And sometimes even our consumers are asking us to be in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we know that at least from a consumer standpoint, we have the license, if you will, the the, the freedom to go into other categories. It's just a matter of sequencing it the right way and, and, uh, and doing it in the proper way. Both in Frozen and outside of Frozen, Kid Fresh has huge growth opportunities. So primarily, your innovation is driven by providing that end-to-end experience to the to your target consumer, where from morning till evening, they've got different options available for every meal of the day. Exactly. Is that exactly. correct? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What are your views or the key ways that you provide that experience? The, everybody talks about omni-channel experience, but few people get it right. Mm-hmm. So have you put a lot of interest or effort into providing that omni-channel experience across the different channels you have? And what has proven as, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is phenomenal or you know, some a strategy that has played out well for you that resonated with your consumers? I think what, what's interesting is it's all about how you introduce new products and, and how do you tackle new categories. So you have single serve entrees, multi-serve entrees, sides, mm-hmm. breakfasts, pizzas, snacks. All of them are scattered in different doors sometimes and uh, handled by different buyers sometimes. And when you think of your consumer, generally when you go shopping, you have your list for the kids, right? This is what I need to get for the kids. Mm-hmm. It's very user-centric, meaning I have my shopping list of the things I need for the kids. And then I have the rest. So today, a lot of these 
items that you buy for your children, they are scattered all over their store. But, but right. and in you, if you go into frozen in particular, even within frozen in and of itself, you have to go for to one door for the chicken nuggets, to another door for the pizzas, to another door for the for the bowls and single serve entrees, and so on and so forth. That's true. So you end up yeah. you end up having like to go through the store back and forth in order to go through your shopping list. Our vision ultimately is to have everything that you need for the kids in one door, build a destination. Mm. Some retailers are more open to that than others. And, you know, slowly but surely, we see that starting to to be rolled out. Yeah, you probably need like one or two chain retailers to implement, do a pilot. And obviously, I mean, as a mom, I can tell you, I'm going to love it. I don't want to go in five doors. And I've never tried to think about it that way because you're all just running around trying to get your exactly. list that you don't think about, oh my God, like this is a problem. Like why hasn't, why isn't this solved already? Exactly right. And, and you know, we were just talking about millennials earlier. I mean, millennials, they want solution and they want instant gratification. Mm-hmm. If it's too complicated, yeah. I'm not going to do it, right? That's really an attribute that defines millennials, or many others, but that, that's only one. And so, <laughs> so in that respect, Frozen actually has a great story to tell because you have a full meal and it can be healthy if you pick a healthy one, right? Now you have mm-hmm. options. You can have a full meal in three minutes, right? Let's make it easy. Let's make it easy to understand, easy to access, easy to find, easy to shop, and ultimately easy to consume. I love it. Absolutely. I hope that KidFresh does get an opportunity to do that and everybody else picks after that. And then there is some innovation happening in, in the whole P part of the 3P policy, which is placement which exactly. is, and positioning, yep. I mean. Make it easy for not just the the manufacturers like you and I, but also consumers and there'll be more traffic coming into the aisle. I mean, it just seems so obvious. Make make, make it easy. Just just make it easy for consumers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess they just have to reprogram all the planograms and a lot of back-end stuff, but but (laughs) it can be done. You know, when you shop online, right, at at, uh, some of the food retailers, you can sort product by the word kit, right? And you will find... All the products that are tagged to kids, right, from a product management standpoint. And you have that on one page from cereals to frozen to milk to dairy. Mm -hmm. But from a retail experience standpoint, you still have to go through the entire store back and forth multiple times. So consumers with the Internet and online shopping, they're used to search, sort and find, right, on one page. We need to achieve that ultimately at retail. The, the, the retail experience needs to become more convenient, easier for the consumer with the consumer in mind. Right, absolutely. And I guess what we can kind of point out as, as, a, as a summary of this specific topic is it's not enough to provide that experience. Like we see stores now investing into experience, Whole Foods doing this whole this section where you can drink and have, walk with walk in the store with a beer or this little cafes that are popping up, all the retailers are acquiring delivery companies, yeah. right? Hello, fresh and yeah. whatnot. What not. But that's alone is not enough. In-store experience also has of to improve course. to kind of match the online experience. I mean, that's where I guess the next step innovation has to be is just reshuffling the Absolutely, store. Absolutely, because what you're describing are retailers that are 
trying to bring consumers into the stores, not by addressing the shopping experience. They are just offering mm -hmm. additional per peripheral services or experiences, which are great. And of course, I, I, I want them. But you got to make my shopping experience fun and engaging and easy for me. Mm -hmm. This is such a fun conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours <laughs> <laughs> about food business. Yep. But I guess, you know, we just have to tap out the discussion. Okay. And in closing, I want to hit one more topic. Sure. And I know that we're our typical length of the podcast is between 30, 40 minutes, but you're just imparting such valuable. Thank you. <laughs> this is such a fun conversation. I can't seem to stop. Thank you. Fundraising. You did a Series B last year, but... Talk a little bit about how your early experience was and some valuable guidance that has taken you from that seed round to Series B. I would say, first of all, I would go back to my first word, perseverance. Perseverance. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard and very yes. time-consuming. Every entrepreneur that has raised capital knows that, but it's, it's obviously necessary and, and, and worth it. I think what's important initially when you start, really at the startup stage, is to stay with investors that you know personally or that you've been introduced to through people you know personally, rather than trying to get a brand name VC or even early stage fund. It's important to, to really initially work with friends and family as much as possible. That allows you to experiment, to make mistakes. They'll forgive you as long as you're fair. And it, it's an easier, more personal way to raise the capital that you need, right? Then once you have built a certain scale, when you are off the ground and starting to have some metrics and some momentum, then it's worth exploring you know, more institutional investors. But still... There's a lot of time that can be wasted in talking to the wrong people. And mm -hmm. uh, it's important to, to be very, very disciplined and clear about this. If you are a $500,000 annual sales business, don't talk to people that uh, invest only if you are above $5 million. Right, right. It's, it's just a waste of time. Or probably they'll take your company away. <laughs> no, but it's not. Or you, or you, or you give up too much of your company right. I mean, if you actually get through exactly, the door. Exactly, yes. but you, you won't even get through the door because people are interested. They want to put you on their radar for two years from now, three years from now. But what you need is the money right now. And so if you spend too much time talking to people that are not directly relevant to where you are now, then you're wasting time. Yes, absolutely. That is so helpful to know. And oftentimes with all the guidance that you get, you're listening from your advisors, your networking circles, be it podcast, you know, whatever it is, that's how you get acclimated for new entrants that don't come with an extensive CPG background. The way to get acclimated is via these multiple sources and you get all kinds of information and you feel like, okay, gosh, you got to work with XYZ investor. They're big time. And you get tempted to have conversations, but to your point, what's important is find out those long-term relationships, maybe build a relationship, but don't invest too much time in it. Have a hello or, you know, have an introductory phone call, but keep them in the back burner and focus on who your friends and family are and see if you can get that list. This is one fun pointer that a friend of mine 
he's a neighbor and uh, we were just talking um he said something very interesting which is which is actually happened to be true by my own personal experience raising money for my own food brand, food brand but he said okay i said well we're talking about raising money he had had recently closed an successful round i'm like yeah i have a list of friends and family that i'm going to go tackle he goes well yeah good but triple that list <laughs> Because people that you think would invest may not, and a lot of no's will come. So having an initial list is great, but try and grow it so much more than what you think you should do talk to, because that's how difficult it is, even with the friends and family around, to find the right person who is investing in you for the right oh, reasons. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you need, you need to plan for, I would say, 100 no's for one yes. Okay? <laughs> that's the reality. And that's okay. That's life. So it's the way it is. And it's better to know that from the get-go and not be discouraged. Because again, perseverance mm-hmm. is, is critical. You believe in your plan. You believe in your vision. You believe in yourself. Ultimately, you will find people that do the same. That's a great line that we can actually <laughs> close the podcast on that I'm going to probably put in the intro of the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, Matt, you have imparted such valuable wisdom, so many takeaways. I'm so excited to put this all together and I can't wait for the blog post to come out and highlight all the all the things that you have shared with us. But definitely, I want to say thank you with all my heart for taking the time and sharing you know, what you've just shared with us on this podcast. And I can't wait to see you you know, be, be where Conagra is. And I'm sure with all with everything that you have shared, I just see that this is just destined to be successful. And thank you. You know, you've got the right product, the right approach to business. And, you know, I'm sure Kid Fresh will be phenomenal. We'll continue to be to grow and, and prosper. So thank you so much, Emma. It's been a very enjoyable uh, conversation. Looking forward to seeing you too. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope we get to be meet each other at Expo East this year. Yep. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be there, but I'll ping yep. you before I head, right. before I before the event. Well, good luck. Thanks again. And have a wonderful rest of the year. You too. You take care. If you found value in what you just heard, take a couple of minutes and subscribe to our channel. Even better, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Join the mailing list on our website so you can get notified of new episodes and learn how to build and grow your CPG business.